five, four, three, two, one. Lift off of the Falcon 9. Hi, I'm Mark Boucher, and this is a special edition of the Space Cube podcast. In this podcast from the Cassie Astro 18 conference in Quebec City, you'll hear an update from four Canadian Space Agency Director Generals, including, and in order of their speaking, Jean-Claude Piedbeuf, Director General Space Science and Technology, Eric Laliberté, Director General Space Utilization, Gilles Leclerc, Director General Space Exploration, and Mary Préville, Director General Policy. The presentation used for this panel is available on our website at spaceq.ca slash podcast. For all our stories from Cassie Astro 18, go to spaceq.ca slash tag slash astro dash 2018. Thank you. And merci beaucoup donc pour uh, cette uh, opportunité pour présenter les programmes de l'agence. So we'll start uh, with uh, space science and technology, and uh, I will start with a slightly different approach as as uh, what uh, I have done two years ago. So just move on. So the, the first thing, I, I will go back to the, the new, uh, what we call the Depart Departmental Result Framework, or what we call DERF, and it's basically what CSA is doing and how we report to the parliament. And so it's interesting because we were asking uh, why we do things, and it's really about the result we are trying to achieve. And you can see we want to develop uh, space research, advanced technology, so we want to increase the bird in, uh, in industry, increase the, the publication in university. We want to have more Canadian engaged with space. So more people engage, a new organization, more utilization of the social media. Obviously, space information and technology should improve the life of Canadian. And so how many services they are using, what kind of spin-off we do with our science and technology. And then Canadian investment in space benefit the economy. That's, that's a key uh, factor. So we, have, we create HQP, and Canada's space sector has been a strong export. So this is really interesting to start from that perspective. And then the next one is really the, under this uh, program, and this is in place since the April 1st, so it's, it's relatively recent. We have four programs through which we deliver the result for Canadian. Space exploration that Jill will talk about is really looking into space. Uh, space utilization is looking toward Earth and what space could do on Earth, and this will be discussed by Eric. I will talk about space capacity development. And then we have all the internal services at CSA that support all the activity, HR, finance, IT, and Mary will talk about the policy aspect of that. So on the space capacity development, it's really uh, that I will develop a bit more. We want to build a foundation for the space sector. So in space, we have the upstream, so we are sending stuff in space. It's important also to work on the ground segment, so what we need to control the stuff in space. And also, there, there is a lot of data. 
so the downstream, how we process the data. And so the, these are the three segments that we need to take into account when we are building the capacity. The three are really critical. So the goal of space capacity development is strengthen the existing company, but support also the emergence of new one. Space economy is growing, and that's why we need to build the capacity. So this slide is really summarizing what is the space capacity development program at CSA. It's seven integrated initiatives. And so you can see we go from inspiration and idea, we mature that, through the program, and when we position the space sector to capture global opportunity. This is really, and you will see on the bottom of the slide, we want to offer an end-to-end -end experience to further space innovation. The goal is really to go from the idea, and innovation is when you use something. It's not just when you publish a paper, it's really when the idea is becoming something that is used by many. And it's interesting also if you think this is the value proposition we provide to the space sector. We have the CSC resource, we have a strong value proposition, and the space sector is the customer that will deliver the result for Canadian. And we, we want to have a strong value proposition for them. So as I said before, we, we position the space sector for global opportunity. And we start with the, the young people. I will not try to pronounce you out because I always misspell it. But we start with the young, the kids, and uh, we, we inspire them, uh, and, and we inspire them to go to the STEM. Then the Stadia program is initiative, I will say, is really focusing on academia. This is where you develop the first idea, where we do, you develop the idea in space science, where you have the, the experts that are growing. STDP is a well-known program, has been there for many time. We, we develop the technology, like the, the, the readiness of the technology to go to space, but also to support the ground segment. And uh, it's part also, like uh, we mentioned this morning, Innovation Solution Canada. This is part of the STDP program, and we have a challenge this year, which is about AI. Then we have our uh, application development. It's also addressing the technology. This is done uh, by uh, my colleague uh, Eric here, but it's part of the, the space capital development program. It's really how can we use better the data and how can we have a growing space sector and industry that will use the, the space data. Our ESA program, uh, we have uh, access to the European Space Agency since uh, 40 years, uh, and this is uh, very important. It's opened the market, the European market, for the, the space industry in Canada. We have the ARTES, which is addressing communication. We are part of the EU program, the exploration program. We are going to be part, we are already part of the ExoMars mission, and we will be part of the next one. We, we participate to technology development, and a few of you are part of the, uh, this initiative. But we are also have access to education program when we are talking about STEM and the incubator, like the big program of ESA. So, uh, 
And one thing that was mentioned also, so partnership like ESA is a strong partnership for, for CSA. We have been there. And when we are talking about international partnership, this is a very good example. Then we move to the expertise in facility. CSA, there is a strong pool of expertise that is used by the, the space sector in general, that we collaborate with other government departments, but we work also with university, industry, and Within the government, this is something we are trying to do more and more, working with the partner, and CSA has been good in doing that. We have also good lab. Uh, you all know uh, probably the David Florida lab in uh, Ottawa area, which has been there since the 1970s, and basically almost all the Canadian spacecraft has been tested in this lab. But we have also some lab uh, in St. Hubert. Uh, we have the, the Mars yard that we call, and we have a, a base in where we launched balloon. And we have the capability demonstration. It's a new initiative that we put uh, a few years ago. That's where we really take the idea and we try to demonstrate that first on ground with the rover. We can use uh, aircraft, we can use balloon, sending rocket, uh, but we also can use the, the CubeSat or basically Microsat to demonstrate. It has been shown that it's very important to be able to demonstrate your technology or your science or your new approaches in space. So the next slide is, uh, I say, back to result. Think about result, and I would say help us to help you. Okay, we are reporting on result. We we have our activity, which are the seven initiatives. From that, we generate output. We offer to the space sector opportunity to advance science and technology, to create the next generation of experts, to basically involve kids in space. But then we measure the outcome. In terms of really the, the, the direct outcome that we want to measure, we want to advance, obviously, the, space, the science and technology readiness. We want to fly in space at some point. We need to develop the HQP. You, we heard that the, a, a big uh, issue in the future will be the lack of expert. And if you, if you are already involved in AI, you will see it's very difficult to hire the expert in this field. And we want to increase the, the STEM. So we are using our program to help the government to reach this objective. Then in terms of intermediate outcome, again, we want to fly. We need to increase the mission readiness. Space is still a difficult environment, and you cannot launch anything, everything. And we want to increase the competitiveness of the space sector, both on the industry and academia side. It's when we say we want to position the space sector for global opportunity, it's really to help the space sector to be able to compete, um, to be the best in science, and to be the best in technology, and also meet the workforce need. So here I will describe, there is one. Uh, the, the, the one, one slide missing. Uh, it's on my, uh, okay, interesting, there is a, 
I can show one or the other. Okay, so this is the activity plan and the space science and technology for 1819. Uh, uh, so the first one is just uh, is to talk about STDP. So STDP, you know, we, we have our contribution part. We, it's really there to help the competitiveness of the space sector. Very successful program that we receive a lot of contribution. So we are going to issue another AO. And we have our contract part, which is really to support the future need of the, the government mission. And so we are also going to work on that. And we are always improving our approach. So there will be discussion with the space sector. And by the way, as mentioned, the, the Innovation Solution Canada is part of uh, STDP program. This is where it's funded. And we are going to issue our first uh, series of contracts to respond to the challenge. Then uh, I try to get the other one. Then the, the Stadia program, which is supporting the, the academia. We have the, the known by University the FAST program that is offering opportunity to test uh, science and technology and grow the, the student in uh, an on experience. And also we are supporting the participation of students in conference. For example, uh, the CSA is part of the International Space Education Board and we are sending every year 10 students to attend to IAC and to basically be able to come, come back with other uh, space agency, space industry, and colleague in uh, other countries. Then we have the ESA program. This year is, a, is an important year. Uh, we are renewing our agreement, and in 2000, which is coming at the end in 2019. So this summer, we are meeting with the, our ESA colleagues to renegotiate the agreement. And uh, so we, this is a very important process. There is a consultation with the space uh, sector to make sure that we basically develop the best uh, agreement for Canada. And this will be uh, done uh, through this year and, and next. And, uh, to prepare also for the ministerial uh, event where it's all basically ESA is the, the minister are meeting every three years to set up the budget. And the next one is at the, this, in December uh, 2019. And the last one on this side has been mentioned by Sylvain this morning, CubeSat. It's, uh, Basically, it was a new approach, and it's really the, the spirit of the space capacity development program. In the, the CubeSat program, we say, okay, we want to demonstrate something in space, so we are the element of the demonstration. We want to involve university and student, so we have the Stadia part and the, the STEM. And there, there will be also kids, uh, like basically a primary and high school student working on uh, or participating on CubeSat. And we are involving our experts. So our expert at CSA will help the, the team to make sure, especially the, the university that are never been involved in, in building a CubeSat will need a bit more help. And so we are going to provide web webinar, seminar, and do some technical review to make sure, and we are providing the launch from the space station to make sure that they will be able to launch. So then, uh, now I now, okay. Next slide. Uh, we have a, an NH2 program and training program. When we say we want to basically build the next generation of HQP, we do it also at CSA. 
uh, we launched our uh, new Ench2 uh, basically call uh, last year, and we are hiring now the, the new Ench2. By the way, we received more than 800 applications for five positions, so it's, it's a very popular program. It's not as popular as Jail Astronaut Program, but it's, uh, it's close, <laughs> one, one, one fifth of that. But it's very interesting to see the interest of the young, uh, in this case, engineer uh, for uh, the space program. And we have a similar program uh, on the technician side technologists uh, to, to train them on uh, AIT, uh, which is also a very specific uh, or specialized field. Then we have the Stratos uh, program, uh, Stratos science that, science that will take place uh, the, this uh, summer in Timmins. It's a collaboration with CNES. We are launching uh, a series of balloons with uh, uh, Canadian experiment. There will be experiment coming from uh, STDP uh, past program from Stadia. We are going also to fly some uh, experiment from uh, high school student, and this will be also a great opportunity. So it's also a well-integrated initiative. So it's part of the space capital development lead. We are supporting some uh, science, like planetary science uh, for exploration. But we took that opportunity of having a rover, and we have a series of rovers at CSA, to offer opportunity to university to bring students, to bring their own science technology payload. We offer some opportunity to the industry to integrate some new technology they want to test. And our expert will help to integrate everything and so we can uh, have a successful mission. This one, there is a potential also for a collaboration with the European Space Agency because they, they, they have a strong interest for moon exploration. And this will be like a real uh, moon mission on Earth. So we are really using the same approach as the real moon mission, and th there is a great opportunity. Expert is where we provide our technical services uh, in terms of uh, engineering, science, uh, the technician for the test, but also IP. We, have, uh, we provide uh, support for IP both at CSA but also for this, the, the industry. We have a series of labs, as I mentioned, at DFL and, and within CSA. And the last one we on, on this slide is KeySat. It's the quantum encryption uh, demonstration, basically to demonstrate that we can distribute uh, quantum key from space. Uh, and this is very important in terms of uh, security uh, because uh, with quantum computing, the current security will be easily uh, breakable. And so we are already developing the next generation. This is done in partnership with the university. A good example of an evolution from the idea to the demonstration. This is started with some concept study. We work with university. There was some involvement of Stadia. It was developed a bit through the, the STDP also. There was some work we do with ESA on that. And now we are at the demonstration side. And we are working with a government partner also on this. So again, we are integrating everything in this. And we are also trying, it's a demonstration, so we are trying a new approach, basically be less prospective. Uh, pre uh, prescriptive on the, the requirement and give a bit more freedom to the industry and offer also some opportunity to fly their own payload. So we talk about new space. So new space is uh, about challenging existing process or existing approach. So it's about change. And uh, 
I don't think, and sometimes people ask, OK, when is change going to stop? And when are we going to be stable? And uh, someone told me, don't hope to, to be stable. What you need to adapt is the continuous change. And so we are adopting this approach of continuous improvement in the space capacity development program. We have the, the chance that every initiative there is a quite short life time. Basically, it's one to three years from the, the idea or basically when you issue something like CubeSat and you, you launch it, it's not long. So we have the opportunity to take the lessons learned and to consult to do the analysis, validate our result, and implement that, and then we continue that. So we are not going to do revolution, but we really want to talk to the space sector and, and make sure that we address the need. Okay, the goal is to build the space capacity in the space sector, not within CSA. So we need really to talk with you. And my last slide is really how we are going to talk with you. We are going to have a consultation committee that will involve the key player of the industry, university, and other government department. We want representative from the different field of space. And under that, there will be some working group uh, that will work on specific issue, like we are already started on technology trend. Uh, it's important to know what are the technology trends in space. Uh, for example, uh, you know that constellation is becoming more and more in reality. This has an impact on big satellite, big satellite, uh, geo-satellite communication. So this is something we have to take into account to be able to position the space sector for the, the next generation. Uh, the same AI, it's, uh, it's something that is, is there. Uh, it was interesting to hear Mike, and I visited the MDA last week, and to see this robotic line. And the robotic line is just one aspect, but it's how AI now is being involved in the production of uh, antenna. If you will have think 10 years ago that you will see robot and AI helping in building antenna and for a space application, it will have been uh, very surprising. And so this is uh, something that will be established soon, and we are planning the first contestation end of the summer and uh, beginning of the fall. And uh, to conclude, this is my last presentation as the Director General of Space Science and Technology. Next week, I will start at the CSA CFO, and Marie-Claude, which is here, will replace me uh, as the DG of uh, Space Science and Technology. So I will invite you to take the chance that she is here to meet her and she will be the, the next, uh, in two years, she will make this presentation. Thank you. Well, congratulations, Marie-Claude. <laughs> and thank you, Jean-Claude for, for uh, setting, the, setting the stage and also uh, giving us a, a, a good overview of the activities of the, the well, what we call the new programs, basically under the, the, new, uh, the new reporting structure, so the Space Capability Development Program. Um, I will go into the Space Utilization Program. And just a reminder uh, of the mandate and strategic uh, objectives of this program is basically, in a few words, it's making sure that space-based data can contribute to, all, uh, to the production of information products, services that support and inform policy and decision-making. 
that connects Canada and Canadians, understanding the earth as well. As we've heard uh, this morning, uh, um, uh, Kaylee was talking about the science aspect and the importance of, of understanding earth and its immediate environment. And of course, support in, in its delivery. This program has also to support the government plans to foster innovation, science, and international collaboration, subjects that were of the, the previous panel. Now, one thing, you know, you're all sitting here listening to this presentation, so I can afford to do a commercial. Um, <clears throat> I'm told by, my, uh, by our, our director of communication that whenever we start talking about satellites, interest goes down. Uh, <clears throat> Maybe not in this room, okay? If you're all here and you're, we're all going to talk about, about space for two, two, three days, it's probably not pertinent to this room. But I am asking you, asking you to be ambassadors, that when we talk about satellites, it's not the satellite itself to the general public that is, is important, but what we do with it. Why are we sending satellites up in orbit? Why are we doing this? Well, it's to touch things like climate change, disaster management, Arctic, health. Yes, even health, if you're not aware. We do manage, we do work a lot more with the Public Health Agency of Canada in looking at the, these priorities and how space, uh, sorry, earth observation, so space-based earth observation can help in those areas. So you have to be ambassadors to communicate that it's not necessarily the technology that should be appealing to every Canadian. It should be what we do with it, what we get out of it. So how it benefits Canadians. End of commercial. And thank you for taking the challenge. So if I, uh, uh, that's probably a slide you've seen before. Uh, if you've, uh, if you heard me talk in a couple, and yes, uh, Yesterday, I was using this slide again. So we basically look at the uh, utilization of space in four different categories, communications, navigations, earth observation, I just talked a little bit about, and is the heart of this, uh, this program, but also monitoring space environment, so space weather. And there was yesterday, there was a, a good uh, working group, um, uh, a workshop, uh, specifically on space resiliency, and we touched a lot on space uh, weather and space debris. And it is, um, is that my time or? <laughs> so, so yes, uh, departments uh, and different uh, organizations are coming together in Canada to tackle you know, this, this important aspect. It's taking more and more in, in importance in terms of space weather and what can be the impacts of that on the ground and to all the satellites that we put up there. So we have to understand it. So there's, uh, that was the subject of yesterday, um, yesterday's uh, workshop. I want to stress one thing because uh, Jean-Claude stressed the, the fact that we're, we're all integrated, although we're presenting three programs and I am basically representing the space utilization program, there's, there's collaborations within CSA and we're touching on all of these. Uh, for example, in, in communication, a lot, the majority of the investments are in technology development. So this is the way that we collaborate together internally in, in, the, different, uh, in the different fields here. 
So first activity that I want to stress is the launch of RadarSat Constellation mission. So RCM will be launched, and let me just check my uh, countdown. Gennady, how many days? 176. 176 days before launch, okay? So Gennady keeps a tally of every day. Um, <laughs> in, in this crowd, yes, I was expecting that. But it, it, is, it is definitely um, uh, the subject of a lot of attention at CSA. And again, not just, uh, not just my branch, but everybody at CSA that is uh, contributing to these. And we are preparing for, uh, for operations uh, and also the commissioning, along with our uh, industrial partners uh, preparing to commission that uh, that constellation that will uh, that will ensure continuity of uh, SAR uh, imagery, um, and if you want, you know, during those three days um, I just mentioned, Gennady, who's right there. There's uh, Steve Irist that's sitting there, and Jill Smith there. Uh, so if uh, you cross path and you can you can feel free to ask questions about this the the constellation and its capabilities. Now, the other mission that we have in the implementation phase is SWAT. It's the uh, Surface Water and Ocean Topography. So that's an international uh, mission that is led by NASA that involves uh, also CNES, our partners, and we are providing instrumentation that goes on this. So we are planning to, uh, to continue the testing of, uh, of those instruments for the Canadian contribution to this mission. What we will continue to do is explore uh, new concepts in technology areas such as space radar and space optics. Um, of, I'd like to mention there's a couple of, um, of mission concepts that we, um, are, um, we are finalizing. We are continuing our options analysis, but working with Environment and Climate Change Canada on their priority um, uh, for uh, for environment, uh, basically, it's look. There's a mission that's looking at uh, air quality, so uh, greenhouse gas, and there's another one that's looking at uh, the quantity of snow that uh, you know measuring it from space and and having a better understanding of how much we have, and that plays into the water management activities that they have. So those are, are two uh, of their priorities, and we continue working, looking at options and how can space contribute to the best of its ability. We also foster new discoveries in the fields of solar terrestrial science and earth system sciences. Um, we will, I'll touch a little bit on, on that, but basically these are uh, looking at grants that we continue to support in terms of, um, of science uh, data analysis. So looking not just at the mission that we have spent, sent in space, but also missions from our partners. So operations of ongoing missions, uh, you've heard most of the slide was touched uh, this morning uh, by Kaylee. Um, I, I think the right-hand side, Osiris on, on Odin, is an instrument, um, it's a Canadian instrument on an international mission. So we continue to operate this, um, to support the operation of this instrument, looking at the, the science um, data and the science outputs of that. Uh, Mopit is another instrument that was mentioned this morning. Um, and um, bottom, bottom left corner is uh, CISAT uh, that was also mentioned. And I have a slide just uh, using that as, a, as an example of a successful mission. Uh, but basically all these, and 
If I go to the top right, you have M3MSAT and NeoSat that are missions that are continuing. We will continue to, um, to use RadarSat2 um, and, and make the transition between RadarSat2 and RCM for the government, uh, uh, government uh, mandates. And um, this, uh, the other um, image that's not a satellite, it's uh, actually the Geo, uh, Geospatial Observatory uh, for Canada. It's basically ground, but looking at space, so understanding space um, from the ground. Um, when, when we're looking um, at all these missions and instruments, uh, you know, SISAT, celebrated last year, 14 years. It's going to celebrate in August, 15 years of operation. We have to look at, you know, what is the future? We have to look at the sustainability, the long-term sustainability, and we have to, um, I, you know, analyze uh, where, you know, we continue to operate, what the value is. So every time that we look for extending those missions, we go through a process that is analyzing you know, the, the value, the data, and also the impact to the overall uh, investment portfolio. So these are conti continuously looked at in terms of their continuity, their value to the, to the community. Uh, and value, can, I'm not only meaning in terms of, um, of uh, science data, continuity, but there's also value in having those systems continue to operate. So the technology also, we learn from, from that. So... I wanted to talk about the SISAT success. Like those numbers that you see are just, they just keep increasing, okay? So like I said, in August, we will be celebrating 15 years for, of SISAT. First, basically for a mission that was planned for two years of operations. So it is, it is uh, testimony to Canadian technology, uh, to, to uh, instrumentation, we were talking yesterday about resilience. Well, that's a proof that there is the capability to construct and live and operate uh, a satellite for a number of years. Uh, and, and when I mentioned that it's important to continue, the 15 years, if I'm not mistaken, Jacques, you might want to correct me there, but 15 years is uh, a threshold that is looked at when you're thinking in terms of technology that goes to geo. So. Now you're looking at a LEO satellite that's operated technology in a harsh environment for 15 years. You can make the case for GEO, and I think that was another uh, subject or another mention um, of, uh, of the trends that we're looking at GEO, uh, geo um, satellites in order to have a different way of looking at Earth. Um, so enough of that. And I want to go into the different programs that we have in terms of data utilization and applications. So you're probably familiar, at least to, for one of those, maybe uh, all three um, of uh, the GRIP, EOED, and SOAR. Um, they each cater to a different community, basically GRIP to the, the uh, government departments, EOED to industry, and SOAR to the academic uh, environment. Now. These have been, have been delivering great results, but that doesn't mean we should not ask ourselves, is there a better way to deliver on those, on those uh, programs and basically to obtain and even improve the results? So that's why I stole one of the, the slide from Jean-Claude and I put it in the uh, mix, mixing, I'm, I'm 
now I'm figuring out, I'm mixing up my left and right. <laughs> um, in the right um, bottom corner, so I stole this diagram that basically I agree. We have to look at continuous improvement and we have to look at, um, at uh, renewing those programs to make sure that we continue to deliver great uh, results in terms of, of data utilization and applications. Um, the other two di diagram that I have uh, here, the other two uh, pictures, uh, are there to um, point to the data analysis initiatives that we have in science. So it's um, a couple of years back, we've, uh, we've changed the approach, going from emission-specific support to a broader support, and basically looking at, you know, Best, best proposals in terms of looking at other sources of data, not just the Canadian sources, but also integrating uh, partners and other international sources to get the best science for the investment. So without further ado, I'll uh, hand over the microphone to Gilles Leclerc, my colleague. Merci Eric. Euh, merci à Cassie pour euh, nous avoir invité, euh, les directeurs généraux de l'Agence spatiale canadienne. This is the second time, so I guess it has become a tradition. I hope we continue the tradition. Um, so I'm going to be covering briefly uh, the programs uh, that we've undertaken at the Canadian Space Agency for Space Exploration. Uh, and so that all the satellite guys don't feel bad, uh, and I'm one of them, I used to be one of them. Astronauts become satellites. Think about it. So the, the, the mandate, our objective is essentially to ensure that Canada plays a, a key role in space exploration. Space exploration at the Canadian Space Agency covers space-based astronomy, planetary science, and human spaceflight. And we do all those, those things for industry, for science. So it's we're not doing these things for just so that we inspire Canadians, although inspiring Canadians is important. It's an important element with the astronaut program. But to inspire, you need to do big things and bold things, and we're not going to be shy about it, even though we're modest, humble Canadians. Uh, I've, I've, I'm, I'm going to cover the programs of space exploration in three elements, three destinations, our three main destinations, the International Space Station, how we prepare for uh, deep space exploration. And then thirdly, I'll cover space astronomy and uh, planetary science. So the ISS uh, has been occupied now for 18 years. Our uh, robotics have been in operation for almost 17 years. Uh, it continues to be uh, a unique outpost. It's a one of it, one of the world's, one of humanity's enduring marvels, and we are using it for science. I will let you read in detail all the things we plan on doing just in 1819, not only supporting operations on the station, uh, helping in the, uh, the arrival of cargo ships, and soon, probably within a year and a half, crew vehicles to the ISS, all the maintenance of the ISS, the ISS could not operate without Canadian robotics. Uh, and we've been busier than ever. The system is getting old, but it's aging gracefully. Just uh, three months ago, we replaced the latching and defector. 
uh, it went without a hitch, and it, it proves that the technology that was developed more than 20 years ago is extremely sound. Our focus on using uh, the International Space Station for science are life sciences. So we want to learn how humans uh, can adapt to space, what are the methods, the countermeasures that can be adopted so that we can support human exploration into longer space flights. And we also use the space station as a platform for technology development and improving the robotics technology, the navigation technology, the vision systems that have made Canada famous uh, <clears throat> as a world leader in these domains. And even though, I mean, our, our, the technology of the Canada Arm itself is kind of getting old, uh, we are still learning a lot. We are developing knowledge, operational knowledge that is unique with our team, both in, uh, at the sea at headquarters and in Houston. Obviously, the most visible aspect of uh, the International Space Station is whenever we fly an astronaut, and this year will mark the launch, as uh, was mentioned before, of David Saint-Jacques in December. So uh, we will have a famous satellite in orbit. Uh, there's a heavy program of science that's been prepared for uh, David. David will also uh, experiment with brand new technology, uh, the life science uh, research system. It's a bioanalysis and biomonitoring system, which we hope over time will find its way into the healthcare system. So all the things we do on space station are done with, you know, first of all, making, uh, making good on our obligations as an international partner in maintaining the station and also developing the science that will bring benefits to Canadians. We are preparing along with our international partners. In fact, we've been working on the architecture for a deep space gateway for more than four years now. So the, the architecture is quite mature to the point where NASA, and you've probably seen it in the last weeks, have clearly announced their intention of to returning to the moon and to essentially putting in place all the technologies, the systems, and even launching RFPs, RFIs, to launch the first element of that deep space platform gateway by 2022. Uh, and along with the ISS partners, and that partnership will be open not only to other countries, but also to the private sector, NASA wants to pursue commercialization and expand the economic sphere beyond low Earth orbit and now into the lunar vicinity, and eventually, and pretty soon, if you believe the very aggressive agenda that NASA has by the mid-2020s, uh, landing not only science experiments, but uh, rovers, ISRU, and so on. So it's really, we've, we've, we've been talking for many years about being at the crossroads in space exploration. We, we are really there, and it's up to us to uh, not only catch up, but in some areas uh, to lead. Um, this essentially is in detail NASA's latest plans for their lunar exploration campaigns. And it starts from the basics. I mean, continuing the analysis of lunar rocks. I think there's around 40% of the rocks that were brought back from the Apollo missions that still need to be analyzed. The first uh, thing that NASA wants to do is use private sector companies to land science, scientific instruments on, on the moon, then going bigger over time, uh, 
landing larger landers with human-rated rovers. You see uh, that by the mid-2020s, they're planning to have very heavy uh, rovers uh, on the moon. And then at the bottom, you see the calendar, the schedule for the Deep Space Gateway, the first element of which, the power and propulsion module, uh, will be launched in 2022. And on this element of the Deep Space Gateway, robotic interfaces are required. Uh, space astronomy and planetary exploration. Um, we continue to operate our instrument on Mars, the Alpha Particle X-ray spectrometer. Uh, we have uh, OLA, the OSIRIS-REx laser altimeter, which is going to reach uh, asteroid Bennu by August, September this year. So we will see, uh, well, thanks to the laser uh, altimeter, uh, the, the asteroid uh, OSIRIS-REx was launched uh, back in September 2016. It's now, it's been cruising uh, for a distance of over 1.6 billion kilometers. Uh, and we are just about to get ready to do the science around the asteroid, uh, scoop uh, a sample of the asteroid and bring it uh, in 2023. And that's one thing to be said about space exploration and exploration of the solar system. These are generational pro projects. I mean, we approved those Iris Rex back in 2010. Uh, the James Webb Space Telescope, which is another flagship program for us. I mean, the, uh, the initial concept studies were in the mid-90s, and Canada joined the program <clears throat> more than 15 years ago now. And it will be launched, touch wood, in 2020. <laughs> um, and finally, I mean, we want to keep, even though we, we know that we've consulted a lot, it's important for us, as Jean-Claude and Eric mentioned, that we keep uh, good communications with the science community uh, because the, the things we do in exploration are, I mean, let, let's admit it, for ultimately for science. Astronauts perform science on the station. They are subject of experiments themselves. We do space astronomy and planetary exploration for the science. And exploration leads, I mean, it's about discovery. Once you've discovered, you want to essentially use the resources. And it takes us to the next step in, in exploration, which is utilization uh, and exploitation of uh, extraterrestrial resources. So this is the, the panorama of the missions we are involved in. I should also mention, but it was covered by Jean-Claude, that we are as part of our uh, status as a cooperating member of the European Space Agency, we contribute the uh, satellite communication payload on uh, the ExoMars 2016 mission. So the imagery we get from Mars goes through Canadian hardware. And uh, we are involved. When I say we, it's Canada. I mean, it's, it's Canadian industry. In this case, it's Mac Maxar MDA. Uh, we are providing the locomotion the, and the chassis for the ExoMars 2020 rover. Um, and you know, ISS continues to be the, the single largest program that the agency has ever undertaken, but it's, it's going to be 32 years. So we've, we've invested $2 billion. If you spread it over the duration of the program, I'm not going to say it's small change, but it, it, that program has provided Canada with extraordinary visibility, and it's kept us in the club of leading nations in space. 
and we're now planning the transition from the ISS in its institutional mode into a public-private partnership. And as I've made it clear, they now have a transition plan that they want to uh, stop direct funding of ISS by the US government. We'll see exactly what that means, but we are working with uh, our international partners, with NASA, and we will, uh, again, there seek the, uh, obviously, the, uh, the views of Canadian industry. And uh, last, uh, I'm showing some of the, uh, some of the missions uh, that we're looking at, and just so to be clear, if it hasn't been clear yet, space exploration at the CSA is all about missions, whether they are astronauts, uh, hardware instruments that we provide on inter international space uh, partners' missions, uh, the science, and so on. It's all, it's all about missions for us. Uh, the first one on top is the Deep Space Gateway I was referring to earlier. You see a robotic arm. It st still doesn't have the Canada logo on it. Uh, we, need, we will need to commit pretty soon to that, uh, to that partnership. Lunar surface exploration is one area where we have developed expertise over time. There's great potential for us. The third uh, vignette that you see is, uh, and, and thanks for introducing it, uh, Ewan, this is the Mars sample return. Uh, NASA and ESA are partnering. We have an open invitation to participate in what will be uh, one of the uh, most important robotic uh, Martian exploration missions in the, in the coming decade. And finally, not to forget astronomy, you have their CASTOR, which is a Canadian concept for an advanced uh, space astronomy observatory. Uh, it's been in the concept phase for, for too long. We'll need to take a decision on whether or not we, we embark. So there are opportunities uh, for Canada. We've, uh, uh, it's been said before, there's not much that Canada cannot do in space. It's a matter of leadership, of uh, convincing uh, government to uh, support these missions. And it's not only about government, uh, and it's part of that infamous crossroads. We will move from uh, clearly the traditional institutional old space uh, paradigm towards something that's going to look like procuring space exploration services, letting the, the private sector take the lead completely on missions and also on, on science missions. Uh, it's the, and NASA has set the path uh, and for example, any interplanetary communication infrastructure is going to be led by the private sector, and NASA are going to buy services uh, for communications to Mars. Uh, we are planning also, we got approval for a synthetic aperture radar payload uh, around Mars. Uh, that's still on. Is it going to be done in the traditional way, us providing uh, government furnished equipment to NASA? Uh, there might be actual money to be made by uh, doing an inventory of water resources on Mars. Uh, so uh, just to say that we are, uh, we are engaged and we will work obviously with you, with our international partners to define exactly what the next step in human exploration will look like. So thanks for your attention. I will now leave the floor to Mary Preville, Director General of Policy. Merci, Gilles. 
So I'm different. <laughs> I don't have cool programs. Uh, I don't have cool photos. I have to steal them all from, from these guys here. But I will try and give you a snapshot of what uh, I do, um, what my team does. We are not located in St. Sabah. We're in the National Capital Region. Um, there's a good reason for that. Um, right out of the CSA Act is, I guess, the raison d'etre for my job, which is assisting the minister in coordinating the government's uh, space policies and programs. Um, a big part of what we do is what we call strategic policy, but really that's Ottawa speak for a lot of paperwork, and I won't talk about that today. Um, but it is the area, I suppose, where I either hinder or help these guys, depending on, uh, on the situation. But I did want to talk to you a little bit about what we do on uh, uh, economic analysis uh, on an international, uh, international field. What we're trying to do with uh, some new opportunities, both for uh, industry and uh, and business, uh, sorry, and uh, the academic community. So, just a little uh, snapshot. This is in our work. This is uh, EuroConsult's uh, survey of uh, 2016 information on uh, government expenditures. Uh, in the space field. Um, so it is very much government. It doesn't include private sector, right, venture capital, etc. But no surprise, uh, the big big bubble, 50, over 50% uh, government expenditures still reside in the United States. Um, then comes China, Russia, Japan, France. You see Canada just above the, the small bubble, uh, above the big U.S. bubble. Um, in 2016, the year this one was produced, the data, uh, there were 70 countries participating in space. Uh, it's expected to grow to about 80 countries in the, next, uh, in the next couple of years. So we look at information like that and try and situate uh, Canada in there. So when you look at that little bubble, um, so the way we, we try and analyze uh, Canadian information, uh, since 1996, the CSA has been issuing a uh, census-like survey. Hopefully, you all respond to it. It is the way we get information on what you are doing. Um, we send this survey to about 200 organizations. Um, in 2016, we received responses back from 150 organizations. Sylvain um, Laporte tomorrow will give you a bit of a snapshot of some of the information that we have yet to release on 2016 information. We'll probably publish it in about a month's time. Um, up until 2014, we uh, uh, received information or uh, published uh, just in the upstream, upstream side. In 2014, we changed our methodology. We worked with uh, OECD countries 
to standardize all the methodologies that's used uh, across the country. And so now we report on both upstream and downstream to recognize the changing trends. Um, there's about a quarter of the respondents downstream, three quarters upstream, and we have about a quarter of the respondents uh, uh, from academia and three quarters from, uh, from industry. So we will actually be launching the 2017 survey uh, imminently. So again, this is my plug to please respond. Um, some of the other work that we do on the economic side, uh, we're uh, just going to uh, put out soon a report uh, that provides information on patenting in Canada uh, in the space sector. It's an area we didn't have a good handle on. Uh, we hope to publish that in 2018. Now, many of you know the Canadian Space Agency is uh, a portfolio agency under uh, the Minister of uh, Innovation, Science and Economic Development. Um, as Jean-Pierre, uh, Jean-Claude, sorry, said, we have to think results. We are always trying to quantify and provide resor results more, more to government entities, but um, though when we we are often asked, well, what, what does the money we give you <laughs> do? Um, so we do do a fair number of studies on res re, um, uh, return on investment. So maybe, again, we rely on um, you to provide us with uh, a lot of that information and feedback. But ba basically, we're very comfortable in saying that for every dollar of uh, government contribution to space R&D, um, we have an additional 2.9% above, uh, uh, above and beyond the contribution that led to uh, commercialization revenues. Those are actually very um, powerful uh, figures. One thing from the 2016 uh, survey that I do want to let you in on today, because I don't think Sylvain will be uh, talking about that, but it's just the space research, the space science that we do. Um, interesting to note, uh, our space research uh, does take place across the country. Um, that is uh, probably uh, pretty unique for, for the science. Um, in uh, 2016, uh, Total funding to universities from government sources was $107 million. Now, this obviously assumes the assets are in space, which is a much bigger piece. Um, over the last five years, it was a little, the average was a bit lower at a, uh, less than $100 million. And uh, so we are seeing a bit of a trend upward. Um, $100 million from uh, Canadian sources. Seven million from uh, international sources, U.S. European Space Agency. Um, so I don't know if it's a surprise to you, but actually, uh, ANSERC will be the biggest funder uh, at 38 million from the federal government. Um, then comes CFI. No surprise to the academic community. Then uh, other government departments. Uh, to us, <laughs> meaning uh, Department of Defense, uh, National uh, Natural Resources Canada, at 14 million. CSA on the science side comes in at 100 million. Provincial governments about one, uh, sorry, 10 million. So just moving to international collaboration, um, 
spaces international, as you all know, uh, even with a move uh, or the evolving nature to uh, commercial space, or space 2.0, whatever you want to call it, space 4.0, if you listen to uh, uh, the European Space Agency, um, there's still a lot of agency-to-agency collaboration and work that goes on that requires a fair bit of uh, engagement on various fronts. Currently, the CSA has 21 active uh, memorandum of understanding or uh, agreements uh, in various uh, areas. The two biggest ones, of course, uh, have been mentioned uh, today by uh, my colleagues, the European Space Agency. That is a treaty-level uh, agreement, so that requires us, when Jean-Claude talks about we're renegotiating uh, with the European Space Agency, which we have to do about every 10 years, it means we have to go back and get the approval from from the government every time. When we go to the uh, ministerial meetings of the European Space Agency and we have to pledge what Canada is going to contribute, we have to get uh, uh, Parliament's approval, I shouldn't say, government's approval on that. So um, as we renegotiate, that really uh, what we understand to be a, a very beneficial agreement um, there's actually a fair bit of uh, work involved there. Um, the International Space Station, of course, is another uh, uh, m- m- uh, you all know about. She'll start to. One area that's really not talked about perhaps all that much uh, in our circles is uh, the United Nations uh, Committee for the Peaceful Uses of Outer Space. Um, UNCOPUS, it's a hard acronym to say. Um, It was established in 1959 uh, to govern the peaceful exploration and use of space for the benefit of all humanity. It's a UN organization. Um, It includes 87 member states. So a couple of years ago, the CSA negotiated with the UN members for a Canadian chair. I believe uh, Dr. David Kendall will be addressing uh, the conference, I think it's tomorrow, in a keynote address. He is our Canadian chair. Um, and we had, uh, it's, it's at a time where there's, um, the world is changing and uh, the UN organization recognizes this. And so it, 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 the last couple of years, this is two flagship fi- files. Um, Unispace Plus 50, which will be an upcoming uh, big event in Vienna in June, um, which will really change the direction of the organization. And the big work as well that has gone on is the guidelines for the long-term sustainability of space. Um, so countries aren't organ- uh, interested in treaties anymore. Uh, they're very hard to uh, negotiate, to enforce the space uh, world is changing so rapidly that uh, treaties couldn't keep up with them anyways. So they're looking more for softer uh, agreements, if you will, norms of behavior, guidelines. And so uh, hopefully in June at the Unispace Plus 50 event, the UN uh, COPUS member states will agree to uh, new uh, guidelines having to do with uh, various uh, regulatory frameworks, safety of space operation, cooperation internet and capacity building, as well as uh, scientific and technical research. So again, uh, David Kendall will tell you more about that tomorrow in his address.
Um, just over the last uh, year, um, my group has, has tried to act a little bit as a matchmaker uh, for, uh, I suppose, starting with the industry. We know, as, as Mike Greenlee said, so the Canadian market isn't big enough for uh, sustaining of a Canadian company. We know, uh, we know that we're trying to uh, get uh, uh, more opportunities for Canadian Canadian companies acting as a matchmaker. So we've had three main events in this last year. Uh, one, we led a mission to um, the Space Tech Expo. The Germans uh, have a big interest in collaborating with us. Uh, we had uh, over 100 business-to-business uh, -business meetings there. Um, we also had a, we have an agreement with uh, the Sierra Nevada Corporation on the Dream Chaser. Um, we invited them to Canada, had a big event, so 25 business-to-business -business meetings took place there. They are following up with uh, several organizations, actually. And just recently, again, the Germans wanted to come and see us. Uh, we said yes, of course, so we organized another set of meetings there. So we receive fairly good, very positive feedback on those uh, events. Uh, so we plan to continue them in 1819, coming up. We're going to try and do the same thing, perhaps not at the same scale, but uh, at the academic level. Um, there is a, a new organization called the Milo Institute. It's really being funded by uh, Lockheed Martin uh, through a subsidiary called GeoShare. They basically entrusted the Arizona State University to, um, I will, have more international collaboration or pool resources on, on space missions as, as the science part. So it's maybe the space 2.0 business equivalent in the academic field. Um, and so they're interested in talking to Canadian universities, see if they want to uh, take part. Um, we will be organizing uh, information sessions for uh, Canadian universities uh, in the next little while. Um, there will be different levels of, if you want, membership, uh, buying into a mission, just buying data rights, etc. So it's a more of a more of a new way of working in the uh, in the uh, space science field. Um, their first mission wants to focus on uh, near Earth object encounters. So again, still uh, somewhat exploratory. Another area that uh, my team is involved in um, as well is, uh, I suppose it's you know trying to help uh, help these guys. But as as Jill's talked about uh, humanity going to Moon and Mars, there is the question of how are we going to keep those people alive. Um, so I think pretty much recognize that uh, Canada punches about its weight in space. We have a really good track record, as Jill has said, on the health and life sciences, um, our work on the ISS. Our partners know we can deliver. So we, the last year we undertook an engagement effort with a newish community to, uh, for us, uh, which is the medical community. And uh, we appointed an expert group uh, to look at uh, what could be Canada's potential contribution to deep space 
astronaut health care. Um, we asked uh, former astronaut Bob Thurst to chair this, also a medical doctor. We asked also uh, uh, retired astronaut Dave Williams, medical doctor, to be part of it. And we got um, really, you know, Canadian experts in uh, digital health, aging health, uh, chief medical officer for Indigenous communities, remote health experts, uh, medical technologies. Um, and at first they said, I don't know anything about space. What can, why am I here? This is really cool, but what am I doing? What can, how can I help? Um, so as really uh, Gilles' team and uh, Bob and Dave started talking about, you know, what is going to be needed in deep space or what the experiences they encountered um, as astronauts, you know, they all said, oh, wow, that's kind of the same challenges we have here on Earth. Um, so, so they went off and said, yeah, there's a lot we can do. There's a lot of Canadian advantages we can do. Now, we recognize that this is much longer term. I know there are some saying we're going to send, you know, people to Mars in 2030. Um, we know it's not as pressing as some of the other, uh, technologies that are needed for deep space. Um... But they were pumped. They were. They were very. They saw so many parallels to what is needed for deep space astronaut health as here on Earth. Um, you know how uh, healthcare is delivered in the country. Uh, how do we monitor? How do we manage it? How do we um, provide independence to? Uh, uh, elderly people or people in remote communities? How do we reduce the cost of uh, transporting all uh, uh, the Canadians that live in remote communities or the north to healthcare facilities? Um, how can we help uh, in military settings or uh, uh, disaster responder set settings? So there were many, many parallels that we're seeing. So this is an area we're looking at. It is longer term, um, but it is certainly one that has a lo lot of applications on Earth. Um, and that's sort of uh, my, my conclusion is, uh, I know a very busy slide, um, but that's the, it's the same message that really uh, Eric has said and, uh, and, and Gilles. I'm not sure I heard it from Jean-Claude, but maybe that's because he, he works more on, on Earth, except for his balloons. He's a little more, he's a little more down to Earth. Um, but, but really is, you know, how do we change the lingo? of what, How do we start talking about, you know, it's not just space. We're all space nerds. It's really cool, and it is cool, but how do we, how do we relate to everyday Canadians? Um, so... Think about your examples. Start talking about your examples. There are many. Um, it's not just from a technological point of view. It's from a science point of view. It's from a humanity point of view. Um, so I won't read the whole slide. Uh, these are just examples, more on the technology side. But uh, I, I leave, it, uh, leave it to all of us to, uh, to start talking about how it benefits us here on Earth. Thanks.
Well, that's a wrap on this episode of the Space Cube Podcast. If you like this show, please support us on Patreon. The address is patreon.com slash We really appreciate feedback. And to help us, we ask you consider to write a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Play Music if you're so inclined. If you have any comments on this episode, you can email me at podcast at spaceq.ca or you can post them on our website at spaceq.ca where you'll find an archive of each episode. If you send me a comment by email, I'll write back to you as soon as I can. On Twitter, you can follow us at Canada in Space. And if you use Facebook, you can find all our articles and links to the podcast on our page, The Space Q. If you like the show, please subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app.